This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Thanks to this episode's sponsor, LLC, TLC. They are just doing an incredible job saving you money on your registration. Be sure to register your vehicles, airplanes, boats, street legal, side-by-sides, and trailers to your own Montana LLC, and you will pay $0 in sales tax. So go to LLCTLC.com for more information. Welcome back to the Collector Car Podcast. Thanks for joining me this week. Thanks for joining me every week. As you know, if you've been listening to me or reading my blogs or emails or or whatever. There's a lot going on, obviously. Having announced the 1962 Ferrari GTO for sale, that's got a lot of stuff happening around it. So go to my YouTube channel. I try to post some fun videos. I'm posting a video a day, a short a day, unrelated to the Ferrari GTO, but there will be plenty more around the Ferrari GTO, and I will have a few more this week, and there'll be some every week leading up to the big sale, which is November the 13th at 5 p.m., I'm hoping it's being live streamed. I will be there on site. Uh, it might be private, kind of like the Uhlenhout Coop, where you can watch it after the fact, but I'm still trying to get clarity on that right now. So a lot of cool stuff. If you haven't checked it out, go back a couple episodes and you've kind of had my recap of the Monterey results, as well as what uh, if it's good to do no reserve cars or not. I did a deep dive into the results from Monterey, from all five auction houses, and kind of came up with some stats around no reserve. So this episode is in preparation for Hershey. Now, I unfortunately will not be there this year. I did want to highlight some cool cars that are pre-war cars, American and European, and that's what this episode is all about. So without further ado, I want to cover the 10 fastest pre-war cars ever built. Now, this is an article from SlashGear.com. I thought it was a great article. So uh, if you want to learn more about the slash gear just go to slashgear.com this article was by justin owens actually a fairly recent article and he did a really nice job during the brass era before world war one automakers were just trying to figure out how to make things go however by the time the war passed and regular life was able to resume engineers got to work creating cars for the masses as well as cars for with pursuits of speed in mind this led to friendly competition among automakers, which each of them trying to outdo each other and bring to market the best and fastest models for sale. The speediest among them came with significant price tags, meaning only the well-heeled could experience a sensation on public roads. The first speed limits in the U.S. were set to speeds of around 12 to 15 miles an hour. Can you imagine that? Despite these legal imposed limits, manufacturers thought to continue building the best cars possible including making them even more powerful from the continuing improvements in engineering that occurred throughout the era. Some of the cars of the time exhibit innovation and clever engineering, and many models from this era today are highly valuable machines worthy of museum-level preservation. Sadly, civic order devolved into chaos with the onset of World War II, and production for consumers ended around the globe, signaling the end of an era. With a look at cars released before the outset of hostilities, here are 10 of the fastest pre-war cars listed from fast to fastest. Now, these are all gorgeous, beautiful cars, definitely high on the collectability ranking, and a few of them I've honestly never heard of. All right, the first one is the Auburn Speedster 851, top speed 100.8 miles per hour. Obviously, I've heard of this car. 
One of America's earliest luxury automakers was Auburn. It was founded at the turn of the century and produced its first automobile in 1903. Difficulties plagued the company early on as so many companies entered the market made it difficult to stand out. This led to ownership changes over the years, eventually being a part of a group with Duesenberg and Cord Automobiles. The Auburn models of the 1930s are some of the most elegant and attractive from the company. Sadly, Auburn would not survive the Depression, and its last model year was 1936. But before then, it released the 851 Speedster, a sleek and curvy open-top two-seater powered by a straight-eight engine with supercharger putting out 150 horsepower. A unique detail of these cars is the application of a plaque on the dashboard certifying that this Auburn automobile has been driven 100.8 miles per hour before shipment. This gave credence to the car's ability and speed capabilities on each and every model directly from the factory. Although Auburn ceased production shortly before World War II, its cars remain valuable today. A replica of a speed cell even shows up in the classic film Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. The remnants of the company changed hands until the until they ended up in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, where the cars are not only serviced and restored, but reproduction models are also manufactured in limited numbers. Okay, next is the SS Jaguar 100, 100 miles an hour top speed. The car company known as Jaguar was first called the Swallow Sidecar Company, and it produced cars under the SS name, including a sports car in the late 1930s called the SS Jaguar 100. World War II made the SS moniker unsavory, so all cars after the war would become simply Jaguars. But before the war, war, the SS Jaguar 100 was the fastest model from the company and one of the fastest of its day. As the SS company only began making cars around 1930, having a highly competitive model within a decade is an impressive feat. Now, if you've ever seen these, and if you're watching on YouTube, you'll see that had got to be super scary to drive these cars up to 100 miles an hour. The Jaguar 100 is typical of English sports cars of the period. It's small and low to the ground with a tall grille and detached fenders. It makes it lightweight, which allows its 3.5 liter sitting under the long and slender bonnet to push the little car forward at a sprightly pace. Dual SU carburetors breathe 125 horsepower into the engine and the short wheelbase gave it precision handling. Autocar Magazine tested a Jaguar 100, pushing it up to 101 miles an hour with a 0-60 to 60 time of 10.4 seconds. Impressive performance at the time. Production ran from 1936 to 1940, and wartime production halted all passenger car manufacturing until 1946, when Jaguar Cars LTD was officially born. All right, the next one is the Cord 812 SC Sportsman, top speed 102 miles an hour. E.L. Cord established an American automobile company holding established an American auto company holding Auburn and Duesenberg in its portfolio of vehicles. Although he already had two exclusive marks under his control, Cord chose to add one bearing his name and introduced a highly innovative model in 1929 called the Cord L29, which, as most may recall, was not the most fortuitous time in American history for big business. Despite launching a car just before the start of the Great Depression, Cord survived, at least for a time. The L29 introduced Americans to front-wheel drive, and that continued into later models, including the 812. Additionally, the 810 introduced the world to one of the most loved 
car features ever, the pop-up headlights. Now that's divisive. My dad hated pop-up headlights. I always thought they were eh. I'm starting to like them now because they're so retro. Innovation was a hallmark of the Cord 812 810 and the forward-thinking elements included the wraparound front grille, rear hinge hood, variable speed wipers, hidden door hinges, and a concealed fuel filler cap. Problems with the brakes overheating led to engineers drilling a series of holes in the wheels, which solved the issue and inadvertently created wheels with a striking appearance. Inside the car, drivers were greeted by a dashboard that looked more like that of an airplane with full instrumentation complemented by a radio, a feature not standard in cars for many years after. Also, the Cord was placed below the Duesenbergen price, but it was still a very expensive car. For the money spent on one, the 170 horsepower supercharged V8 propelled an 812S to a top speed of 102.3 miles per hour, making it one of the fastest production cars in its day. All right, next is the Mercedes-Benz 540K, top speed 110 miles an hour. Germany's Mercedes-Benz is known today for making the finest luxury automobiles in the world, and that has been true throughout its entire existence. Even in the dark days of the Depression, Mercedes created and built some amazing cars, although they were only for the wealthiest of people. Expensive back then and worth an obscene amount of money today is the Mercedes-Benz 540K. That this car is so fast among its contemporaries may appear to be its most important attribute, but its performance is easily overshadowed by the other, utter beauty of its styling. To say it is a work of art may be selling it short, but encased in its majestic beauty is another work of art in terms of engineering. The K designation in its name stands for compressor, which is the German term for supercharger, the 540K is powered by a straight eight engine with forced induction by way of a supercharger technology pioneered by the automaker. This was also an exceedingly expensive car with custom coachwork fitted to the frame, built for sale to the most exclusive buyers in the world at the time and owned by princes and kings of the day, along with particularly notorious German chancellor in power when it was built. A particularly notorious German chancellor. Regardless of its former owners, the 540K performed extremely well. Its 5.4 liter engine produced 180 horsepower and an even more impressive 318 pound-feet of torque. Reports of its top speed hit 110 miles an hour. Considering that a well-preserved Concorde condition examples of a 540K can sell for more than $10 million today, we are unlikely to see the top speed of any of them tested anytime soon. All right, the next one is a gorgeous car, the Taubo Lago T150C SS, top speed 115 miles an hour. In the early years of automotive industry, French car makers played pivotal roles, and while they were responsible for many groundbreaking inventions that contributed to the development of the automobile, they also created some fabulously lavish and beautiful automobiles. One such mark that is far from a household name, yet synonymous with French luxury, is Talbot Lago. Automobile Talbot nearly found itself in bankruptcy, only to be rescued by an Italian named Anthony Lago. No, I'm sorry, Antonio Lago, leading to the Talbot Lago models. It used clever engineering to find ways to exceed others and released the six-cylinder engine that utilized a cylinder head with cross-flow design in hemispherical combustion chambers. Can we say hemi? 
One of the most noted Talbot Lago models from before World War II disrupted production is the T-150C SS. Its inline six-cylinder engine is four liters of displacement and produces 140 horsepower with natural aspiration. Although other engines were larger, the T-150C SS was built with lightweight materials and used this to its advantage in accelerating quickly, achieving a top speed of 115 miles an hour. Further, its slippery, slippery contours allow it to cut through the air while turning heads on the road. Talbot Lago cars are extremely valuable today, often being chosen among the most beautiful cars ever made. RM Sotheby sold one in 2022 for just over $7 million. All right, next is the Hispano Sueza J12, top speed 115 miles an hour. Hispano Sueza is not generally a well-known automaker of the pre-war period. Those who owned one in the day paid significant sums for their cars as they were more the most opulent and over-engineered vehicles on the road. Hispano Sueza had much experience building engines and many of them were found in the aircraft that fought during World War I, particularly the venerated SPAD, S-P-A-D. The automotive venture began in 1904, but by the 1930s, Hispano Sueza cars were the pinnacle of luxury design and engineering. The thing to know about Hispano Sueza J12 of the 1930s is just how imposing the car is. Its engine is a 9.4 liter V12, huge, with overhead valves making the engine bay enormous. It used, uses dual water pumps, dual magnetos, and two spark plugs per cylinder. Power output was 250 horsepower with an abundance of torque from the massive engine. Unlike other fast cars of the period, which were sports cars or even high-end roadsters, the J12 is a luxury car with unmatched levels of craftsmanship. The precision engineering found in aircraft manufacturing is found throughout a J12 with everything built to the highest standard. Despite being a luxury, a large luxury car, 9.4 liters of V12 made it possible to attain 115 miles an hour and extreme speed for any car of the period. Next is another car that's absolutely stunningly beautiful. The Bugatti Type 57 SC Atlantic. Uh, top speed, 125 miles an hour. Bugatti represents the fastest and most extravagant name in cars today, but this has long been a part of the brand's heritage as its founder worked tirelessly to create the most beautiful cars in the world, featuring the best engineering possible in its day, just like the Veyron and Chiron of the modern day. Before World War II, Jean Bugatti produced a series of cars equipped with a 3.3 liter Bugatti straight eight engine and covered with perhaps the most elegant, shapely, and beautiful coachwork ever created. The Type 57 SC Atlantique is the Savelle Coupe with a long hood covering the powerful engine with a body terminating in a teardrop shape at the rear bumper. There were four Type 57 SC Atlantic cars built, of which three are accounted for today. The fourth one is lost to history, reportedly sent on a train for hiding but never making it to its final destination. All right, I got a side story about that. I have someone who is somewhat of a recluse, and they tell me these incredible cars they have. I haven't seen the incredible ones, but what I have seen has been very, very impressive. Uh, and they state that they have the missing 57SC which is fascinating. And I asked, well, can I see it? It's in this building that I can't, I've never made it to. So I hope to see it. And I asked them, well, 
how do you know that's it? He's like, well, because it was in a train accident, hit by a train, and it's in the same shape it was when it was hit by the train, and you can compare it to the pictures of period, and you can tell it's the real one. But then I heard another story about there was one that was hit by a train, and it's currently in a very high-end uh, automobile museum. It was totally reproduced, and it's considered real, but also a bit so because many of the parts are not actually real on that car. I mean, recreated, not real sheet metal. Anyways, big side tangent to say I'm dying to see exactly what is this car that this guy's mentioned. But like I said, I've been trying for years. haven't seen it. It might not even exist. All right, let's get back to it. Of the three remaining cars, one was wrecked and rebuilt using some original parts and some reproduction pieces. Okay, that's the one I just mentioned. That leaves just two original surviving examples, one of which is owned by renowned fashion designer Ralph Lauren. These were exclusive cars in the day and are exceedingly rare and valuable now. Furthermore, the supercharged engines are capable of pushing out 210 horsepower and hitting a top speed of 125 miles per hour. Should one come up for sale now, it is estimated that the selling price would exceed $100 million. I don't doubt that. And the one that's missing, apparently it's a black one, that one's been called the $100 million car for a very, very long time. All right, we have just three more to go here. Uh, this next one's very fascinating. The Duesenberg SSJ, top speed 135 miles an hour. In American automotive history, no name is more highly revered than Duesenberg. The cars made by this company were, at the time, the most extravagant vehicles made and were also the height of luxury on wheels. Duesenberg history is rather short, only lasting from 1920 to 1937, but had a significant impact on early American auto history. Additionally, when the Duesenberg brothers that founded the company were not building lavish passenger cars, they were building championship race cars. Duesenberg engines were among the best in the world, and the cars that housed them were also among the most powerful models at that time. The Model J was the last model produced by the company. It came with a 420 cubic inch straight eight engine with 32 valves and dual overhead camshafts. This was highly advanced and sophisticated for the time, but would have been improved with the addition of a supercharger, which changed the designation of the car to a Model SJ. Power output of for a supercharged Duesenberg is 265 horsepower, which is well above the, what any other cars produced at the time, especially when considering the flathead Ford V8 output was about 65 horsepower. Duesenberg built two SSJ models, which were seven liter supercharged and short wheelbase versions. These cars went to two famous actors, Clark Gable and Gary Cooper. Power output on these had been boosted up to an incredible 400 horsepower and were the fastest and most powerful passenger cars on the planet at the time. Top speed in a Duesenberg powered by the same engine reached 135 miles an hour at the Bonneville Salt Flats in 1965, or sorry, 1935. So there are two SSJ models, one famously sold a couple years ago by Gooding and Company. I think all in it was $22 million, and that was, I believe it was the Gary Cooper car. And I actually ran across the Clark Gable car recently, and I can't say anything else about it, but it's real, I've seen it, and uh, it's absolutely stunning. I think it will show itself in public within the next year or so. I hope so, because I would love to see it uh, in person again. It is absolutely stunning and beautiful. All right, next is the Mercedes-Benz SSKL, top speed 146 miles an hour. This is one I am not familiar with. Ferdinand Porsche is renowned for being the father of what would become the Porsche Automobile Company. He was a designer for other firms before then, 
with famous works including the design of the original Volkswagen Type 1, quote unquote, the Beetle. He also created designs for Mercedes-Benz in the pre-war period, and one of his most vaunted creations is the Mercedes-Benz SSK, built from 1928 to 1932. SSK stands for Super Sport Kurs, K-U-R-S, German for Super Sport Short. It was a truncated version of the popular S Roadster, but fitted with a huge 7.1 liter straight eight engine. These cars were bespoke creations built to order and could come with the engine output of 200 to 300 horsepower, depending on the customer's order. The most powerful version is the SSKL. The L is for light, German for light, that came with the overhead valve 7.1 liter engine fed by a root supercharger, which was engaged by a clutch as engine speed increased. According to the Mercedes-Benz archive, top speed for this car is 146 miles an hour, which is fast for a modern roadster, but was unthinkable in 1933. Okay, let's see. The SSKL was built as a competition car that could be ordered by the public, although never officially offered with the rest of the lineup of cars. Only a few were built, but some did race and went on the track. Today, SSKs and especially SSKL Mercedes are extremely valuable. They rarely come up for sale, but the winning bid for one at Bonhams in 2003 was almost $5.5 million, and the value has surely at least doubled since then. All right, that's about the Mercedes. We got one more now for mail, but I do need to go back to the Duesenberg for a second. If you go back to an episode, I'll put the link in the description, the fastest car for each decade. The Duesenbergs, most of the SJs, pretty much all of them were built, I believe, in 1929, but they were titled as they were sold. So you can have a 1932 Duesenberg SJ, but it was technically built in 1929. So the Duesenberg SJ is the only car to be the fastest car uh, covering two decades. It was the fastest car for the 1920s and it was the fastest car for the 1930s. So you can go back to that episode and check that out. All right, the very last one uh, for the 10 of the fastest pre-war cars. The fastest one is the Alfa Romeo 8C 2900B, top speed 149.1 miles per hour. Racing has always been integral for automaker Alfa Romeo. The company has won many checkered flags and was dominant in the period before World War II. One of its best racers, Enzo Ferrari, went on to build a company making the fastest cars on the planet. But in the 1930s, Alfa was the brand to beat. And the car to beat was the Alfa Romeo 8C 29B. 2900B. Similar to the modern Ferrari Enzo or Porsche 959, the 8C was a road car built for a road racing course. It is powered by an Alpha straight eight with dual overhead cams and dual superchargers to rev output up to 180 horsepower. The 8C was also produced for several years and came in one of several different body styles. Touring built the 8C 2900MM for the Million Million Race, which was powered by a straight eight making 225 horsepower and had a top speed of just over 142 miles an hour. Touring also worked extensively with aerodynamic principles at the time, learning how to decrease drag to increase speed and acceleration, resulting in the creation of the 8C 2900B Le Mans. This model employed several raked exterior surfaces with slope lines throughout the bodywork to make the car as slippery as possible. While the official records available today are a bit inconsistent, several sources point to the fact that this car approached very near the 150 mile mark, a feat that remained impressive for cars all the way up to the turn of the millennium. All right, 
that is it for today, for this week. A lot of stuff about some cool pre-war cars. Hopefully next week I'll have a review of some of the amazing cars coming to the Hershey auction with two of the car specialists from RM Sotheby's, Roger and Jake. Still waiting for that to land. Uh, but until then, thanks for joining me. I will talk to all of you next week. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast.